Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Rick Ali. Rick is a summer associate in Foley's Houston office, and in our discussion, he reflects on growing up in Sugarland, Texas, attending Texas A&M University and South Texas College of Law. And he also shares quite a bit about his life before law school, including reflecting on his parents immigrating to the U.S. in the 80s, working for his family's ATM company, which includes some really interesting insight about how most ATMs in the U.S. get refilled with money. He also talks about a real estate investing firm that he and a friend launched while he was in college. What you're essentially going to hear from Rick is that he spent about six years doing other things before law school and some of the considerations he took in deciding to basically start a new career by going to South Texas College of Law. You'll also hear us talk quite a bit about another Foley associate named Eric Williams, who's also a South Texas alum. I will say, if anything we say about Eric piques your interest, Eric is episode 96 of the podcast. But then, of course, I get Rick to talk about his experience in law school, his experience interviewing with Foley, and finally, what it was like to be a summer associate at Foley and Larder. We share quite a bit about that. And then we end the podcast with Rick giving some fantastic advice, which includes the importance of picking a firm that doesn't give you the Sunday scaries. I hope you like my conversation with Rick Ali. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Let's get started by having you give a brief introduction of yourself. Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me on the show. My name is Rick Ali. I am a 2L summer associate in the Houston office working in the litigation department. I studied business at Texas A&M University for undergrad, and I'm currently going into my 3L year at South Texas College of Law in Houston. And you're a summer associate in which Foley office? In the Houston office. In the Houston office, which you already said. And here I am just like, I was listening and I was like, wait, did we get that part out? But of course we did. Well, let's jump in, in terms of where I always start with all my guests. I feel like it's my, the question I always say every single time, which is, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. So I'm born and raised Houston. I actually grew up uh, on the Southwest part of town called Sugarland, which is about a half hour, depending on traffic, you know, kind of your standard suburbs, nice place to raise your kids kind of thing. And after A&M, I came back to Houston. I live in the Heights now. Okay. So if I were to find you in Sugarland, Texas, around the ages of, I don't know, 10 or 12, what's life like? What are you into? 10 or 12. So that would put me in, let's see, the fifth and sixth grade, roughly. I was honestly a naughty kid. I used to distract my classmates a lot. You would find me probably outside either playing basketball or playing soccer with my friends. I grew up playing basketball. I haven't had to think back that far in a while, but some of my fondest memories as a child, I used to play in a summer rec league every year as a kid with some of my friends. And my brother used to coach my team every year and we won a few of those. So you'd definitely find me outside getting dirty somewhere. Do you really think I was going to just let the naughty kid comment go? <laughs> so like, <laughs> like, what is, is that? 
like a class clown sort of thing? Like, say more. I think when I was younger, I just couldn't really sit still. And, you know, I even remember in elementary school, we had a designated reading time. They'd consolidate some of the classes and we'd go in, one of the teachers would read a story to us. But I just was itching to do something that I, I couldn't take it. And I'd be talking to my friends, you know, distracting the class. And they actually found that it was easier to put me in a different room and let me play with Legos. And they actually let me designate one friend to come and play with me. And they just didn't even want to try to mold me. They were just like, you know, what, we're just going to put him on in this other room. I really like that in the sense of we are who we are. And Absolutely. I think a lot of kids struggle. And like we're learning so much more about how because we all do learn differently, it can be really hard for a lot of us to focus at that age because that's not how we best learn or engage. So I, I can understand that. Exactly. I am very much a, a learner by doing things. And so I think when I was younger, if I had to sit and listen to anything for a prolonged period of time, you lost me. But as I grew up, definitely more disciplined, able to actually sit in a place for a while and not move. But a little naughty when I was younger. Well, I'm laughing, but I'm like, I'm like, I like that you gave that clarification, knowing that in law school, they don't separate you and put you in a room to play with Legos while they're, while they're teaching. I wish. <laughs> Okay, well, what like reflections on siblings, parents, just paint a little bit more of a picture. Sure. I only have one brother and he's older than me by four years. And he's actually an attorney in Houston working at another firm. So I'm sure we'll probably get into that a little later, but he's definitely one of the reasons why I'm, I'm here. And both my parents, so my mom is from India and my dad is from Pakistan. They both moved here in the 80s with just about nothing to their name. After they met, they were able to start a small business in Houston. And that's kind of what I grew up helping out with when I was in high school and college. I don't have any other siblings, but I do have one younger cousin on my mom's side that I'm really close with. So, and she's an only child. So I basically have always called her my sister everywhere I go. So you said your parents, that they came to Texas in the eighties? That's correct. Okay. And then in terms of, maybe I'm inquiring about the Indian or Pakistani community in Sugarland. Did they go to Sugarland because they had friends or family or job prospects? Like what exactly brought them to, to Sugarland, Texas of all places? Actually, what brought them to Sugarland was me, me being born. Then we moved to Sugarland. But my parents both individually with their families moved to the Houston area in the 80s. Actually, so my dad moved to Baytown, which is pretty far east of Houston, about an hour or so, which is a, a small town. But there they were able to start a gas station. And that's kind of how they got started off here. And really, you know, like I said, they, they came from nothing. My dad's told me stories about how his mother would have to wake up super early to go and open the store while after school he would come and he would sleep under the register while she's working. And same with my mom. My grandfather brought my mom and my aunt to America. And unfortunately, my grandmother couldn't come at the time just because of some visa issues. So she stayed back in India, kind of holding down the businesses that they had there. And she was also a school teacher. My grandfather was a civil engineer. And when he came here, not qualified for all the same things, you know, it doesn't properly transfer. And so he was a Ecotech technician. And also before he got started there, I remember he had to work at multiple fast food jobs just to kind of get my mom and my aunt to where they need to be and keep the lights on. And so you mentioned Sugarland was, I think you basically said because they either they had you or because you were born. Then yes. They moved. So when they 
had my brother, they were still living in the Houston area, but when I was born, they decided it's time to move down to the suburbs and, and have a you know proper house. And so when I was born back in 94, that's when they moved over to Sugarland. And so that we've been over there since. I appreciate you reflecting on that. It's I think it's just so nice to get a sense of broader context around people as we march through what your life has been like and sort of what are the things that influenced your past. So I really appreciate that. But let's fast forward now to say high school. Are you similar to how you were at that 10 or 12 or how, how have things changed and what's the thought process as you start heading towards college? So I think high school is definitely where I started to mature more. Although I enjoyed playing sports when I was younger, I was never really good at any of them because I wasn't that athletic. When I got into high school, I definitely started, you know, I was more athletic. I played basketball. I played basketball for the first couple of years, but back then I was maybe 5'5", five, five, a hot 115 pounds. I couldn't gain any weight, right? Not your ideal varsity material, but perfect shape to go run miles on miles. So I switched to cross country and I ran cross country for the rest of high school. But I I was really busy in high school because that's when I kind of started helping out my folks with their small business. And so I remember I'd I'd wake up, I'd get on the bus, go to go to school, go through all my classes. And when I came home at the end of the day, and this was after I got my, my license, I would come home and then I'd just jump in my car and I'd go to work for a couple hours. And I would help them with just kind of small things here and there to help them keep things going. You know, school, I'd work for a little bit. I'd come home, eat something, do some homework, repeat. And then on Saturday mornings, I would actually kind of give them a break and I would go open it up in the morning to let them kind of sleep in a little bit. I kind of started early, but looking back on that, I really appreciate it because I think that's a big reason why I was so mature at a young age is because I, I saw the real stakes that it, it took, right? These are the things that we had to do to keep things running. And I really just wanted to help my folks out with whatever I could. And so when you were talking about the business before, and just to make sure, because I'm just submitting where I'm like, my memory from five minutes ago, apparently is already escaping me. But it was, you said they opened up a small was it a gas station? What was the... So the gas station was much earlier when my, yeah. my dad first moved to America. So after I was born and, and, and towards the later 90s, my parents opened an ATM company. So we own oh, a small ATM a, business Okay, so I didn't. So I didn't just miss it. Okay. Okay. So that's the company that you're working for and that when you can give them a break, it's always really interesting for me to hear about jobs we had when we were younger, part-time jobs. Because frankly, I think that's the stuff that we will dismiss and say, well, that's not relevant to this legal career. But what I've come to know also thanks to this podcast is there's often so many valuable lessons learned and you've already started. And I see the way you're nodding. So I, that absolutely connects to legal practice and that are helpful in terms of whether it be client service, past experience, judgment, whatever it may be. So if you wouldn't mind even saying a little bit more about that, I'm definitely interested to hear Sure. You hit the nail right on the head. When you work outside of law and you're not law trained yet, a lot of those skills definitely do transfer, right? Your ability to kind of work the long hours. And really, before I was doing, to a certain extent, some customer service work, answering the phones, helping people out with their issues, really, when you come into a firm, you're still doing customer service. It's just for different people. It's for your clients. It's for the partners you're doing work for, for the associates that are giving you work to do. They are still your clients, right? And you still want to treat them with that respect 
that civility. You want to help them as much as you can to solve their issue. And so, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that talking about your previous work before going to law school or even working at a firm is super important. Because for me personally, I can say that a lot of that experience really shaped who I am today and my ability to just be resilient and my ability to just communicate with people kind of from all over. Because as the years went on, my job really evolved. So where I was just working on pretty simple tasks when I was working in high school and college, after I got out of college, those rules changed drastically. But I, I'm so happy that I did that. I'm so happy that I worked before going to law school because I think that just teaches you a whole different level of how to properly you know, just be disciplined and get everything done. Yeah. And as I just said, it's really important to me that we talk about that because I think in entering the legal field, people will often think, well, I know you mentioned your brother's a lawyer, so we'll get into that. So you definitely had some sense, at least at some point. But for those who didn't grow up with a parent that was a lawyer or a uncle that's a judge or really any sort of perspective on a legal career, you can feel that you should dismiss whatever you've done before if it's not within the field or somehow legal adjacent. And what I do is I often find myself explaining to law students, no, 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 put that, keep that on the resume. Yeah, it's true. Once you get your first law firm job, your resume is going to say the words professional experience. And if you want to drop off that you worked at the mall or were a bartender, and that's totally fine. But before that, just know that those skills absolutely translate and are helpful. And I know this podcast has so many people talking about it. So I just, I have to touch on that. But that, I guess my next question then is then what? So we get a sense of just how much you're doing when you're in high school and also active in sports. You know, you're like, okay, I'm not gonna be a basketball, I'm not gonna be a basketball star, but I can run. What's the thought process going to college and how did you navigate that? Sure. So I attended Texas A&M University in College Station when I studied business there. That's always just something that's fascinated me. And I think a large part of that came from just, you know, kind of growing up around the family business and, and learning how to be entrepreneurial. But going back to your point about listing those experiences you had that aren't necessarily law related, really, I think, you know, I benefited because when I went through interviews and I showed people my resume, they were like, this is so interesting. You have you've all these weird jobs but, in the right, world. Now. Look things. at these things you've done. Exactly, and and I think that's it's so important just because it allows you to show that you can be entrepreneurial, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you you want to make money, but it just means that you can add value to whatever you're working on. So, anyways, I digress. But going back to college, I really loved the campus. A lot of my friends are going there too. A and M has a really great business school, and I really enjoyed my time there. So, I majored in supply chain management, and I minored in economics, just because both of those things are are so fascinating to me. And I have to ask, did you go in knowing that those are what you wanted to major in, especially the first one? Yes. <laughs> because I feel, okay, you did. Say more I, about I that. I did. I, I knew, I was just very business oriented, right? And I had no idea at that time of my life that law school would ever be in the cards for me. Yeah. And what did you think was in the cards, which I know you're about to say, but yes, let's touch on that. I think for me, what was in the cards was I was going to go get my bachelor's in business administration from A&M and probably maybe work for a little bit, but then and turn around and go get an MBA from somewhere, right? But after I got out of college and I worked for a little bit, I always wanted to go back to grad school. I just wasn't sure at that point, do I want to do the MBA or do I want to maybe think of something different, right? And and so a couple a couple big 
reasons why I ended up choosing law school over the MBA. One, as I mentioned before, my older brother is an attorney, and I was seeing some of the work that he was doing. I was talking to him about it, and I think what I really enjoyed was just how challenging it is, how you really have to use your brain and kind of maneuver through these complex legal issues to inevitably you know, find a solution. But what I also really like about it is while we are researching legal issues, all it really ever comes down to is providing a business solution for our client, right? Helping them move forward, whatever that may look like. Being right? a trusted advisor. Is that, exactly. I smiled as you said that. And I was thinking, I was like, man, I hope various senior partners and management committee get to hear Rick because the things you're saying, I mean, they're truly like, this is what they talk about. There's times when I record the show where I laugh because I'm like, oh, it's almost like I like handed you the script. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I just think that those uh, those experiences, like I think when, when I was working and, and now that I've come here, when I look at any case or any assignment that's given to me, I'm trying to look at it from the lens of what would I do or what would I want if I was in the client's shoes, right? But What's the best way to script, move And that's another script, the forward? client lens. It's perfect. <laughs> It's, I no, think that's so important. It's so incredibly important. And I think coming in with that perspective is tremendous. And then, you know, connects back to everything that we were just saying. Although this is, we're going to have lots of digressions. It's also sort of what the show is for. But I was talking to another law student who is also being featured on the podcast. And we finished recording and he was like, you know, I really enjoyed listening to The Path and the Practice. But there was part of me that just, that wondered, is this real? Is this genuine? And in coming to Foley... I can see that it really is. And I tell him, I was like, yeah, you're really seeing it's Alexis kind of rolling up in a sweatshirt (laughs) (laughs) and being like, let's talk about things. And for you, Rick, like we had a little snafu where I'd even just forgot to send you the right recording link. And so when people and you in particular are saying what you're saying, and it's just so either in line or people are like, really, is that a a real thing? Or are they gaming this out before? No, I can't stress how organic and candid all of this is. And so it really tickles me that you've even elicited the client lens, because if you didn't know, that's a big Foley buzzword, especially among the partnership. And that just, I really enjoy that that's what you said right now. Sure. And and like you said, we'll probably talk about this a little more in detail, but that's definitely a major reason I chose Foley. It's just because for the prospective law students that are listening to this, if you take away anything, Foley has real, just genuine people who care about you. And I could definitely see that throughout the interview process, throughout my time here as a summer associate. And that was a a huge contributing factor. You know, it made my decision to choose Foley very easy. See, that's interesting. I was going to give all credit to Eric Williams. That's what I, so, and Eric Williams, we, we may mention him again later. He's also, he's now a first year. That's right. Going into rising second year at Foley, who's also been on the podcast and attended South Texas College of Law and also Law Review and all of the things. So I just assumed Eric was walking down the halls. <laughs> He's actually probably Rick. four doors down from me. That's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, Eric is a really great guy. Eric has actually been a really great mentor to me because we're we're similarly situated, right? We're both second career students. We both went to South Texas. He was the editor-in-chief of the Law Review. I'm currently the editor-in-chief of the Law Review. So anytime I have any questions about literally anything, I know that he's one person that I can go just knock on his door and ask him. And he's so great. He's so helpful, super smart guy. 
He's fantastic. And you knew there was no way we were going to chat say and not talk. Like it, clearly we were going to talk about Eric. So that whether oh, or not course. that's helpful I got to give the for, man his roses. He's, right? uh, he's a great guy. Right. Whether that's helpful for those listening in the moment, just Rick and I had to talk about Eric. I'm glad we've at least touched on that. We may touch on that on, and talk about him more. But taking you back to what you were saying with your brother's in law school. You said he's four years older than you. So are you seeing him in law school while you're still in undergrad or how is that working time-wise? So while I was in undergrad, he also did a little stint where he worked a little bit before he went to law school as well, but he didn't work as long as I did. So he he got out of school when he was roughly like 21, 22. I think he worked maybe three or four years and then he went to law school, whereas I worked for about five or six years. So now, you know, I won't be a, a licensed attorney until I'm 30. But in any case, I don't think that the timing matters. That's one thing going into this process. I was really considering that factor of at 26, do I want to turn around and start something new, right? Because it's going to take so long. But I've learned over my years that everyone is on their own unique path and it really doesn't matter. What matters is that you just, whatever you decide to do, you give your all. So anyways, but you know, just back to your point, I did see him when I was in undergrad, he was in law school. So that plants the seed. But as you've said, you then graduate from college and you work for a while. That's right. So I, during that time, I used to call myself a jack of all trades, but a master of none because I was doing just all sorts of things. Going back to working with the folks, managing the ATM side of things, and my roles greatly grew on that side until the point where I just went ahead and operated as the, the chief operations officer of the, of the corporation. So I was managing operations in multiple states. I was calculating the commissions we have to pay to all clients across every state in the U.S. But I also had to do other things like attend trade shows. I flew to different states, taking clients out to lunch and dinner, you know, trying to get them to bring their business to us. And this is, you know, a 22 to 25 year old kid, right? But those experiences, I can tell you, nothing teaches you how to talk to a variety of people like being on a trade show floor because you deal with all, you just encounter all kinds of people on a trade show floor. But it's really, once you you lean into it, it becomes really fun. And, and now I'm so happy that I had that experience because now I feel like whoever my client is or whoever I'm dealing with in the office, I can kind of read them. I know their temperaments. I know how they respond. And so that experience really helped me. And also at the risk of, I don't think this is going to make me sound dense, but I'm watching, I'm, you know, I'm following along on your LinkedIn. And as you said, the chief operations officer of your family's company, I see how it says from August, 2009 to June, 2020. So almost 11 years. Just and so different that's, roles. That's right. Oh, absolutely. Different roles. But I, I guess I didn't fully appreciate to the extent that you were very much still working in the company while in college. So while in college, at that time, my deal with my folks was if I could manage 30 ATMs between Waller, Texas and Waco, Texas, that they'd help me out with school. And so literally what I would do once a week is I would get on my computer and run a report of my 30 ATM machines in all these small little towns to see how much money do they have in them. And I would actually go to the bank and withdraw a lot of money, put it in my backpack and just kind of drive around. And I actually put the money into those machines. You're, so the, people armored, always, you're the armored truck in a way. <laughs> well, so people always freak out when I say that. They're like, what? You you just used to walk into a gas station with like money in your pocket? And I say, yeah, you know, that's uh, well, actually- Well, those of us not in the industry were like, you could just do that? <laughs> absolutely. It blows people's minds, but actually, and just 
the small ATM tidbit I'll leave here is that that's how the majority of ATMs in the U.S. are run. It's not by armored carriers, by any PNC, Chase, whatever. It's guys like me who are going around with money in their backpack and they're servicing their own machines because all of the country is just comprised of all these smaller independent operators, right? And, and we've, so we've all used machines like that. And I realize when I'm at that small, clearly independent ATM that there's probably not a massive armored truck driving up, whatever it is, once every few weeks or once a week. To, so what you're saying is completely logical, but I do think for, for most of us who've never thought about it, there is a moment of, wow. And then now I'm just curious, when you're getting the money to put it in the backpack, to go to the ATMs, how much money is this that you're having in this bag? <laughs> it really depends. So it, it all depends on the foot traffic of each machine, right? How many people are coming in and using it. And you can modify the machines to have more than their defaults, right? And you can change the denomination, so on and so forth. I can tell you all about all of my ATM knowledge, but we'll probably be here all day long. But it, it really just depends on, on the machine. But either way, and that's the other thing. I think a lot of us just marvel at having, most of us don't carry on a lot of cash ever, so there's probably a handful of times in one's life where you might be like, I have, name it, $1,000 in cash. And there's some people who just like to have that much money on them, but I think for the average person, so that's why it's really fascinating. And I will actively work to not just try to elicit all of your ATM knowledge. <laughs> so that is so interesting. It's, but a, I, it's a weird job. It's a job that people aren't quite used to when I tell them that. Well, yeah, because it's that infrastructure that we just know is there, but we don't think twice about how and what it takes to keep it there. Exactly. We're the guys that operate behind the scenes. But So that was college, and I had talked about kind of my role of managing the entire organization after college. But I took on an additional thing at the end of college. So my brother and I, what we started doing in my last year of school, and this is while he was working independently, is we started attending foreclosure auctions in Harris County and Fort Bend County in Houston. So I would actually come back to Houston from College Station twice a month. Once was to drive around Houston and I had a list of houses and I would drive around to each house and kind of take notes of the physical condition of the home. And at a second time, I would actually go to the auction and bid against other people for the home. So we started getting into doing some work on properties and selling them or renting them. So you got all this ATM stuff on one side, but also I'm preparing my auction lists and my bidding numbers for those auctions once a month on this side. And it was just, like I said, jack of all trades, master of none. So this is starting in college and you're you're doing that. You mentioned you're either, were you flipping at all or was it either we'll resell or we'll rent? It just depended on the value of the okay. home, right? So if it was a low value home, you'll probably rent it. If it's a little higher and the spread's better, you'll sell it. That all started in my senior year of college where full-time student, president of a business organization, managing these ATMs between Waller and Waco. And let's, you know, let's tack on another one. <laughs> I, I actually just started laughing to myself a bit because I'm just like, man, certain people I feel like are just built different than <laughs> Because, you know, for, for a lot of us, we're like, I'm in college. I'm in a couple of clubs. I hang out with friends. I'm going to grad school. I'm not the idea of me at 21, 22, actively managing different businesses, whatever, however you want to say it is really foreign to me. But the thing is, I know a lot of people do it. So it's so interesting. But what I'm also hearing is that some point you graduate from college and I'm guessing you either weren't able to be as active in the family, your family's business or had to also start doing other things. So what's the transition from the college to the job you had or jobs you may have had between college and starting law school? 
Sure. So, so really between college and law school, it, it was those two, managing all the ATM stuff and then the property stuff on the other hand. And to tack on a little further, a couple of years down the road, what we started doing is pulling in investors and I would take their money to the auction and buy them houses. So I was, I was managing their properties as well. And we also had an Airbnb component of it where we weren't just renting the homes to single families. We were actually doing the short stays kind of thing. That was all the way up until 2020, until COVID. And COVID really slowed, it kind of shut the world down, right? Everything came to a complete halt. And that also had effects on our business as well. Fortunately, we didn't take too much of a hit there, but that was really my transition point to start thinking about what's the next step. Because as I mentioned earlier, I knew I always wanted to go to grad school. I just felt like I was pretty young at the time and I wasn't done learning, right? What I wanted to learn at that point, I just wasn't really sure. So I looked at what my brother was doing and I was very fascinated by it. And I and I was thinking, I think I can do this too, because I I'm very diligent. I've been writing things for, for work, right? And I think that I, I can do this. And also one thing I haven't mentioned that was a huge factor for me, my grandmother, she was very adamant that she wanted me to go to grad school. And so that was a promise that I made to her that I would. And so, I, and I'm glad looking back that I chose to go to law school at the time I did. I, I'm a very all or nothing person, right? So there was just one day, May 31st of 2020, where I decided now's the time. Because if I don't, I'm going to continue to make excuses and then I'll just never do it. I'll just never go back to school because I'll just keep saying it's too late. Right. So I ordered a LSAT book the very next day, you know, started working through that, got the online kind of like self-tutor programs going. And I took an LSAT, I think two months later and applied to, to law school immediately right after that. But I'm, I'm happy that I did it when I did too, because she wasn't well at the time. So I was I was doing a lot with my folks to help her in, in her final years. And unfortunately, she passed on the day of my third law school exam. But again, I'm just so happy that at least she got to, to she help saw, me get there. She yeah, saw me and she get saw in. that you were, you were in law school. Right. And so and then, since then, you know, I've everything that I've done since that point is just to show her that her sacrifice and all the hell she had to go through was worth it because I, I feel like I've worked really hard to get to where I am now. The very next semester I came back, I got a 4.0, later elected to be editor-in-chief, and now I'm here at Foley. It's been incredible to see my life has completely changed it's in that, the last right. two years. That which I, it's, I think something I didn't appreciate until you were saying it was, oh, you graduated from college and you started your own business. Actually, you started the business in college and you worked in your own business, which is a, a big deal. And it's very different, I imagine, than being a student and now working at a law firm and you're seeing all these different sides of life and then also having the encouragement and inspiration from your grandmother and presumably from other people in your life. And it really is remarkable how different life can be over what's a relatively short period of time. The thing is when you're in a two-year transition or whatever it is, it doesn't feel short on a given day. <laughs> but to look back and say, wow, me sitting in this firm is a lot different from scouting for properties or you know whatever your day-to-day -day looked like before. And it's funny because I see there's some, also I think some parallels in that between your story and Eric's, which are actually very different, but I would imagine are similar stories, especially across students that are at South Texas College of Law, given that it's geared towards second career or part-time. And so I just, 
I don't know. I just really appreciate that. I'm going to call it your narrative arc. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And that's, that's a huge reason I chose South Texas. Like you said, it, it is built to serve second career students. We actually just recently celebrated our centennial event. So the school's been in existence for a hundred years now. It's the oldest law school in Houston, and it started in the basement of the YMCA as an evening school. And based on all of my classmates, a, a number of my classmates did come directly from undergrad, but more of them are second career students. Some of them are teachers, some of them were in the armed services, or they went and worked in other businesses, and then they decided they wanted to do something different. And I, I just felt like I just really identified with the student body and the culture of the school. And I appreciate how much that they do for diversity as well. Our school was one of the first law schools in the country to allow women and accept them to study, which I think is incredible. From the, the student body, it's so diverse. There are many different organizations to account for all of the diversity. And our dean, Dean Barry, also makes a, a really active attempt to promote diversity within our school. All of those factors together, leaving out one of the most important things is that the school is built on building advocates, training advocates, people to be in the courtroom arguing for their clients. And so often what I hear from recruiting attorneys is, we love coming to South Texas because we know y'all know how to argue. <laughs> and so we know the preparation you're getting. And in terms of you selecting a law school, was South Texas the front runner or were you looking at a variety of schools? I'm just, I'm curious. I'd love to get a few words about your process there. Sure. So I, I applied both to U of H and South Texas. I knew I had to be in Houston because I live here. My family's here. I have a home here. And so I couldn't give it all up to move somewhere else. Moving my dogs and my cat, it was just, it'd be insane. And so I did apply to both. I ended up going South Texas because one, I definitely, as I said, I, I really love the culture and the principles of, of what the school was founded on. But also, I did get a nice little scholarship. So that, you know, kind of helps. Well, I really, I appreciate you elaborating on that. And I, ha I have to be careful because we have to get to the whole, why Foley and how's it been as the summer? And I could, if you can't tell, and anyone who listens to this can't tell, I could do like three hour podcasts, but I don't, but yeah. I don't, but I want to, but I don't. But I do think what you reflected is so incredibly important in especially right now, and maybe for reasons that I won't even mention because of what's going on in the world, but in how we assess and recruit talent and understanding that not everybody is in a place to either due to maybe a lack of information or just life circumstances is not in a place to pick up and move anywhere or apply only to top five law schools. And so this Really us, as I think, you know, all large organizations, but I'll speak for large law firms, truly understanding that amazing lawyers, soon-to-be lawyers, are everywhere. And yeah, you know, I went to the University of Michigan, like we'll all, we'll always be interested in certain schools, but I think it's so incredibly important to understand what you just said, which is people are looking at a variety of life circumstances when choosing schools. And I know that right now I feel like when we get South Texas College of Law kids, like I say kids, sorry, <laughs> South Texas College of Law. I wish I was a law, kid. I feel right, like I'm on the wrong a, side of 25 right now. But, not uh, at all. But, but law students, <laughs> they knock it out of the park often because of everything that you just said. Mm -hmm. And we need to start really, and I say we like large law firms, not Foley, because Foley gets it. That's why we're talking right now. But I want more and more places to get it. So having this discussion I, and you highlighting that I think is really important. But let's have you talk a bit about 
I do want to hear about the adjustment to law school because for those who are about to have it or in the midst of it, I want to maybe normalize it a little bit. And then let's get into the how Foley and Lardner comes on the scene. Sure. So I definitely had some reservations about going back to school, especially considering that I was maybe five, six years removed from undergrad, right? So going into law school again, I was thinking, well, all these students, they're going to be so on top of it because they just came out of undergrad and they know how to study. And I haven't had to study really past this LSAT, right? So I was concerned that I didn't have all the right habits just yet. But what was a pleasant surprise, I realized the further I got into it, is that if you treat it like a full-time job, everything else will come, right? And so that's why I really valued working before I went to law school, because I already knew how to work a full-time job. Like I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a very all-or-nothing person. And so when I came into law school, I told myself that I'm going to give this everything that I've got. And I tried not to let other people's performance get in my head. And I tried to really just focus on myself. And I think that was really important because ultimately at the end of the day, you can't control everything, but what you can control is how you react to things, right? And so that's what I just try to tell myself is just worry about your own game, do what you need to do, and just keep on it every single day. Just try to be a little bit better than the day you were before. And fortunately that strategy worked because, you know, now I'm doing well in school and fortunately, you know, well enough to get an awesome spot at a firm like this. And so I I definitely was a little hesitant, I will say, transitioning into law school. But once I gave it more time and I really just committed to trying to master everything and figure everything out, I just love the challenge. I love the chase of just trying to figure out the answer to this complex issue. Because as you'll find, I mean, any summer associate or prospective summer that's listening to this, anytime you ever assign something, you're never going to find something completely on point, right? But you're always going to have to figure it out, right? You have to find a way around certain things. And so I really appreciate that aspect of law school of how intellectually challenging it is. And if it were easy, everyone can do it, right? Oh my goodness. And also, by the way, clients don't bring big law firms easy. Like they don't want to pay lawyer rates if they're like, oh, well, this is clear. I know the answer. If that's the case, they, depending on the size of the company, they have an in-house lawyer who just knock it out. Exactly. If it was easy, they don't, they don't need us, right? They don't, they don't need us. So I think that's such a an interesting point, important point. And also, I'm curious, I know you mentioned, of course, the pandemic's really impacted your business and served as a catalyst to say, what's my next thing? But are you still juggling aspects of the business as you're starting school or in school? No. So so okay. the only thing I do, I'm fortunate to, before I left, you know, and I was, I was purchasing properties, I do have some rental properties to myself. And that's kind of what allows me to be in the classroom and kind of step away from everything. So I'm, I'm not really doing any of that anymore. I don't manage any of the ATM business. I don't manage other people's properties. I just have a few of my own. But past that, I'm completely dedicated to the field of law now. And I love it. I'm so happy that I made that transition just because I finally feel that sense of accomplishment, that sense of achievement in that I found something that's very just challenging and worth pursuing. Yeah. Well, and I ask because I can tell in terms of, well, one, you're very like, if I'm doing it, I am doing it, which is great. But I also know there's that entrepreneurial muscle 
And so there's part of me that's like, wouldn't it be surprised if you're like, yeah, full-time it's law, but on the side, I'm able to do these other four things because they just interest me. <laughs> so that's, that's why I ask. <laughs> sure. And who knows what'll happen down the road, right? But all I'm doing at this point in my life is using that muscle in a different way and trying to add value to the firm, no matter what that looks like. Absolutely. And here I am, just so just so those know, when you are a lawyer in a law firm, generally that's your full-time job, especially as a junior associate. And that's not to say there aren't ways to juggle other things in life, but at a certain point, you even end up having to disclose those things if there's, because there can be conflicts and all that. But I've just been really impressed by all that you, you've navigated. So I was curious there. Now I'm curious in terms of, so where does Foley come on the scene? How do we connect the dots from your law school to you sitting in the chair today? Sure. So I participated in 2L OCI and I was interviewing with some of the other, you know, big law firms in, in Houston. But the reason I came here and the reason that it was a very easy decision for me to pick Foley was just the people. The people were amazing. I found that even starting with my on-campus interview with Katie Harrington and Elizabeth Neville, they were just so much fun. I really felt like that interview was completely different and a, and a pleasant break from all the other interviews I was doing in just the nature and the tone. They were so friendly. We had so much fun talking and it was just so different than every other interview I had walked in. Actually, after that interview, Elizabeth had reached out saying, hey, if you have any other questions, let me know. And and so I took her up on that. And I called her, I got on a call with her the day before my callback interview. And I was like, hey, what's the scoop? What do I need to know about these people that I'm interviewing with? And she really helped me out to figure out, you know, who I'm going to talk to. And my callback was really fun. I remember after the formal interview part, we were in one of the conference rooms and some of the associates just kind of started walking in and we just all started chatting. We were just kind of hanging out and I was like, this is awesome. Just because when you're not law trained, right? Like a person like me has absolutely no access to the legal world past my brother, right? So when I hear big law, I think that everything is very prim and proper. It's very buttoned up and, you know, very formal. And that's not always the case. You find that these people are real people. They like to hang out and enjoy each other's company and, and they're very collegial. I had so much fun just sitting in the room and just chatting with them. And I also just really appreciated how straightforward they were with me. I remember Scott Ellis, our, our managing partner here in this office, he called me one day and he said, hey, Rick, we're really interested in you. We're going to do all of our evaluations and I will call you on Wednesday. And sure enough, he called me Wednesday morning and he offered me a job. And I just appreciated how he didn't really beat around the bush. Everyone was just very straightforward, very genuine. And that's definitely shown itself as I've spent more time here, is that this is really a great place to learn how to be an attorney. Because I love this office. I love the people that are working here. They're so helpful and they're so willing to teach me. Because obviously, I don't know how to do everything just yet, but they do a really great job of pointing me in the right direction and showing me what I could be doing better and giving me good feedback. Right. And so I think that it was a very, very easy decision for me to come to Foley just because of the people. And so my advice to any law student looking into LOCI or even one LOCI, prioritize the people you work with. Wherever you work, 
the work is largely going to be the same. It's about who you work with. And I can confidently say, just based on my experience, that I'm really glad that I did that, that I prioritized the people, because it's just been such a great experience over these past 10 weeks. I'm actually really sad. It's my last week, and I have I to know. go back to school. <laughs> the program ends in just a couple of days. Yes, We're talking on a Tuesday, and it's over on Friday. In that same vein, talk about being a summer. What's that experience been like for you? You've already said, but get, and get a little more concrete in terms of the type of work and the type of events or activities or things, you, things you've done? Sure. So in terms of work, I've really done work kind of all over the place. Rick, draft this petition. We need to file it in Georgia. Rick, finish up this motion to compel, right? Like all kinds of different things. Researching legal issues in different jurisdictions. I've wrote memos to attorneys so that they can provide memos to their partners above them. I've wrote client letters, really just kind of everything. It's been all over the place, but I love that so much. I love the variety of work has been great and I haven't been pigeonholed. And you're a litigator, right? That's that's what I, we haven't said it expressly, but that's. That's right. I am in the in the litigation department. And so I primarily am, you know, drafting pleadings, um, reading cases, providing case law summaries and, and analyses on kind of recommendations of what we should do in certain situations. Like I said, just kind of been all over the place. And the, the events, the firm does a great job of giving us plenty to do and opportunities to meet all of the attorneys in the office. One thing I like particularly about the Houston office is we do breakfast on Fridays. They always bring in like breakfast tacos or kolaches. And that's a really great thing. Gives you an opportunity to talk to some people you don't normally work with. So I get that chance to talk with all the transactional folks that I don't really see or deal with on a day-to-day basis. I'm a little jealous of, I think it's a, is it a crawfish boil? Something. Yes. something we so don't, actually, not, not all offices do that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> He's the guy. We had a crawfish boil and a pickleball social at one of our partner Jeff Bracken's house. And so he has this awesome pickleball course in his backyard and Eric came and made the most delicious crawfish. And it was so much fun, you know, just getting to hang out with everybody. Actually, I, you know, I can't believe I've talked this long. And we haven't talked about the summer retreat the, in Chicago. Yeah. Say more about that. So, and just for those who don't know what it is, what is it? And what sure. did you do? It was awesome. So the firm hosts an annual summer retreat for the summer associates and I think that they do different offices, but this year was in Chicago. And I'll say we're usually Chicago, but I do think we reserve the right to be somewhere else. Right. I think there's like I'd an say. asterisk, right? It's, yeah, it doesn't yeah. always have to be Chicago, but they flew us out to Chicago, got us all rooms at the Westin, which is right next to their office, and had really great programming, a lot of really great speaker panels that helped us kind of understand how to navigate the role of a summer associate. Some of the intangibles too, like how to communicate with people about certain things, that sort of thing. And the events were incredible. The first evening, the boat cruise was amazing, going out on the river in Chicago for that architectural tour and then turning around to go back out on the lake and capping it all off with a a fireworks show. It was incredible. It was so much fun. Really great opportunity to meet all of the different summer associates all across different offices. And the second day's event where they rented the entire aquarium in Chicago for us. And we had dinner there. We got to see all of the displays, music, drinks. It, it was so much fun. Really great opportunity to meet so many people. And honestly, three days still isn't enough time. I think there's still some summer associates that I didn't get a chance to meet. But for those that I did, they were everyone was just super friendly, super nice. And I can't speak highly enough about it. It was such a great time. And this summer class, so we're talking right now, summer 2023, we have around 100 summers 
I should know the exact number. And recruiting's like yelling it at me right now. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think they said it was roughly a hundred summers, and I think eighty-five of us are two L. Yes, and then fifteen are one L. That sounds right. But that's why it's the opportunity to connect with so many. And when you're at a firm with twenty plus offices across the U.S. and varying summer associate class size, you know we have some people who are one of one or one of two or three summers. We have others who are you know one of maybe. 15 or 16. So for everybody to come together in one place, I think is is really great. Foley's been doing that for a long time. I was a summer associate at Foley as a 1L. That's back when we would call that what you did, Foley Fest. But oh, yeah. we've just tried <laughs> to to not be as tied to Summerfest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to show that we're more national than that. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, for, I personally love the name, but there's so many things that you said in there that one, I know are especially gratifying for the recruiting team to hear because they work so incredibly hard. And that is like their Super Bowl, bringing everybody together. And between running a summer associate program, hosting a retreat, rolling into OCI, they are a really hardworking team that just deserves all sorts of recognition at the firm. But also I love that you've really been able to get such a good sense of Foley. That's what I'm that's what I'm hearing when you speak and that you've had a great experience. And I can't stress enough, Rick and I did not talk before we jumped on. I didn't like vet him to be like, how's it been? What do you plan to say? <laughs> No, this is all this is all pure, unfiltered, unadulterated Rick. This is me. This is my time, and and I've I've so thoroughly enjoyed it. I genuinely just feel like I got lucky, and I got one of the good spots. You mentioned earlier that you might ask me to give some advice, and if I had to like give advice to any prospective student, is when you're looking at a place to work, pick the place that you don't have Sunday scaries at, and I I don't have any Sunday scaries here. I love coming to work here every single day because I love the people that I work with. I love the subject matter of the work I do. It's just such a, a collegial atmosphere and it's, it's a really great place to, to learn how to be an attorney. That's such great advice. And it's also great because I don't have to be like, what's your overarching advice? Because you Because you just gave it, but that gives us a few minutes to unpack that a bit, which is, I think there's so much about how you feel about work. And that's not to say that work is always going to be some amazing, warm and fuzzy. This is not difficult, but there is a difference between something is challenging and I legitimately just don't either feel comfortable in an environment or feel comfortable with people or there's something about this that is just genuinely off for me. One of the other episodes that I just recorded with the summer associate, I talk about vibes and I say how much I dislike saying that as a diversity director, because it's, it's so amorphous and there's so many other really important things and how we define things. But I do think in picking an employer, there is a fair amount that's vibes. And what I heard you say was I got good vibes from the interview. Very good vibes from the interview. Very good vibes while I've been here. Yeah. Yes. And, and I and I think that's, uh, I wish I could make it more scientific than that <laughs> for those listening. But there is this, I think what you're saying is don't discount the vibes. Like you need to look at all the other things. What do you want to do? What does that firm do? And get alignment there. But there's absolutely a place for how it makes you feel is really important. And I, I also want to reflect, I love what you said earlier about the people and how who you're working with is so and critical to, to also focus on because that's going to be so much of your time. But I think it's people and then it's the training and development. And I hear you as highlighting both because you're like, these people are really great. And here's all the things I've gotten to do this summer. The firm's providing opportunities for me to learn how to lawyer. It's a really great place to learn. And, and I'm so happy that I chose Foley. I, I wouldn't change that decision for anything. And I'm, I'm so happy that I did. Everyone has been so great. Like I said, that, that just made it really easy for me. 
We love that. I love hearing about, you know, summers who've drank the Foley Kool-Aid, whatever, <laughs> whatever that may mean. But it's really heartening to me as well, especially as Foley's Director of Diversity and Inclusion. There's a few things you've touched on in terms of what sort of school and the focus of, of your law school and on DEI and feeling really a sense of camaraderie and a good culture and belonging that are really important to what I do and honestly what the point of my job is. So I will say just from a personal perspective, that's meaningful for me to hear. And I also think a big question that students, law students focus on when they look at a firm and it's like, okay, what do they do? What practices could I join? But also that question of, are they committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion often boils down to, is this a place that I feel it would be committed to me? Are you, the organization, going to be committed to me? And I just feel like you've highlighted a number of hallmarks that have shown you that, that yes, this is a, a firm that really tries hard to be committed to everyone who walks in the door, which is wonderful. Absolutely. Not only on like just the diversity aspect, like our, our office, especially, we really participate in the DEI initiatives in Houston. And actually tomorrow we're attending the HBA Houston chapters DEI luncheon where Scott Ellis is being named a chair. And so we're really excited for that. The Foley office here really puts their money where their mouth is. And at a high level, not even just solely looking at diversity. But yeah, no, I, I've really found that the firm, you always hear that they don't plan for attrition, they plan for career and long-term development. And I, I find that to be very true. Within our office, there's six of us, summer associates. And I like that. I like that they don't hire, you know, everybody under the sun, right? We're because very, yeah. we, We're we get a lot of- in our hiring. Right. Absolutely. We, we definitely get a lot of one-on-one time with, with our supervisors and, and that just makes it so much more of a, a better learning experience for us. And so you can definitely tell that everyone is just really genuine and they really want to see you improve, which is so great. Well, and there's, there's two things I'll highlight as we start to come to a close is one, can I ask you to take a picture of Scott at the event tomorrow? So we'll make sure we'll get it to the comms team. Absolutely. Two, I do think you highlighted a point about there are differences at firms. There's differences in structure. Foley is a firm. The folks we hire, we really want to stay at the firm. We're not like, we're going to hire six and we think five of you are going to be gone in three years. That's not how Foley is shaped. We're not actually a a triangle. I've explained many a time we're more of a rectangle and there's like a line across and half those people are partners and half those are associates. And those are the sorts of things that you really need to tease out as you're getting to know a firm. But with that, I will ask, I guess, what might be my last substantive question and then start winding us down, which is, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we close out? I think we've hit just about everything. You know, you've hit the high points of, of me, how I got here, and that I've I've so enjoyed being here. All all I'll say as just my last nugget of of whatever wisdom I have to any law students who are looking to apply, and that's anywhere, right? Is just be genuine throughout the process and, and that then you'll find who's also genuine to you. Definitely prioritize the people and again pick the place where you don't have Sunday scaries. Those are perfect words of wisdom. And then last question, if anybody who's listening wants to reach out to you, comments, questions, can they feel free to connect with you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rick. This has been fantastic. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, 
This podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 